Word for today, a ministry of Living Word Lutheran Church in Egan, Minnesota. It is our prayer that the message from God's Holy Word would bring a new and deeper love for Jesus in your life. Welcome to Living Word Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Nathan Olson. It's a blessing and a joy to be with you today and sharing God's Word with you. Here at our church, we believe that every single time you open up the Word of God, that something miraculous takes place. You see, this isn't just like any other book you'd find on the shelf, but we believe this is God's Word. It's inspired and errant and true from cover to cover. And because of those convictions, we come with an expectancy to hear God's Word, to look for Him to convict us of sin, point us to our Savior Jesus, and teach us about what it means to follow after Him. It's our prayer that these things would happen in your life today as well. Would you pray with me as we come to the Word of God? Lord Jesus, we commit these next moments to you as we come and we study your word. I pray that you would work in our lives as you promise, that your spirit would guide and direct us, and that this time would be hallowed ground, it would be sacred time committed to you in the study of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At our church right now, we are in the middle of walking through the minor prophets. And we see all these books for the, the Jews are often just lumped into one. They're called the Book of the Twelve. And they're not minor prophets because they're lesser importance or um, diminished them in any way, but mostly they're referred to that way sometimes because they're just shorter. So you have the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, that you know are 30, 40, 50 chapters. But you have a lot of these books, like for example, Obadiah, that's just one chapter. You know, some of them are just very, very short. Jonah, four chapters. And so a lot of times when you look at the, the Jewish Old Testament, these were all just lumped into one book, the book of the Twelve. And so we've been walking through some of those books, the prophets in the Old Testament, and we've done so far Hosea and Joel, and today we come to Amos. And what we see as a kind of a common theme throughout all of these is a call from the prophets of God for his people to live by faith. To live by faith and to trust in God's promises and his work in their lives. And today is quite a doozy when we look at Amos particularly. Amos stands up and he tells churchgoers that they're going to hell. Amos stands up and tells churchgoers that they're going to hell. And not only does that sound like an unlikely message, but Amos is also a very unlikely prophet of God. You see, he's a farmer, a farmer turned preacher. He was a shepherd. And we hear about that in the very opening part of Amos, Amos chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So this shepherd-turned-prophet, we know pretty precisely when he ministers. He's ministering around 752 B.C. And we're able to date that pretty accurately because we hear about these two kings that are mentioned. And we know historically when those kings ruled and reigned. Uh, we can corroborate that with other external sources. You have King Uzziah of Judah who reigns from 783 to 742. And King Jeroboam of Israel, who reigns from 786 to 746. And also mentions this epic earthquake, right? And according to archaeology and seismic dating, this great earthquake occurs in 750. 
And I love just how epic this sounds, right? Amos is ministering as a prophet two years before the great earthquake. You see, this was a, a COVID type of, type of event. This lives on for generations. In fact, even two centuries later, we hear the prophet Zechariah alludes to the same earthquake in Zechariah 14, where it says, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Now, this was a landmark event, uh, probably similar to some that we've even experienced in our lifetime. And according to an article by Stephen Austin at ICR, this earthquake evidence is seen in a number of different excavation sites, uh, particularly at Hatzor in 1955. Uh, the Iron Age layers included tilted walls, inclined pillars, and collapsed houses. You have this record from Austin that all of this displacement in this uh, age of seismic dating in archaeology shows that this earthquake was not just some puny earthquake, but was at least a 7.8, but more likely, quote, as high as an 8.2, end quote. That this probably was the biggest earthquake on record even for millennium. You think about the Dead Sea Transform Fault Zone. And so this is the time in which Amos ministers. Ministers during the reign of these kings, ministers during the seismic earthquake. But Amos comes and says, you know, these things are the least of your worries, right? You don't need to be worried about the seismic earthquake. The, rather, there's a message of God that's here to rattle you to the core. And as a prophet of God, Amos comes and he calls out sin that's in the land. And he comes and he declares God's judgment upon sin and that God doesn't just excuse it or sweep it under the rug, but that he comes to address it in the lives of his people. You see, the people of Israel were living however they deemed fit. They lived with themselves as their own authority and their own boss. And evil was rampant during this time. It had become global. It wasn't just Israel, but even the surrounding countries were living with perversity and evil, with people's thoughts and intentions, evil all the time. And Amos comes as the prophet of God, a shepherd become preacher, to give a wake-up call to the country of Israel and to the surrounding nations. And if you have your Bibles there, you can see in chapter 1 how you just have one prophecy after another where Amos is calling out these other nations. Uh, Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab. And then with a specific address to both Israel and Judah in chapter 2. You see, the, the impression that we get as we read through these different oracles of Amos is that God... He's a God who cares about holiness. He cares about the way that we live our life. And he calls for his people to have a radical change. The people were living however they saw fit, but they weren't living how God had intended them to. They were living with lives of violence and perversity, sexual immorality. They were living with themselves as exalted as gods. Instead of having a regard for law and order, there was anarchy all around. And just to give you a little glimpse of what we're dealing with here, uh, look at Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 to get a little bit of a picture for us of the kind of sin that Amos is calling out. It says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust 
of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. So in other words, we see in verse 6, there is taking advantage of people for money, for monetary gain. It's uh, slave labor, essentially, is what you have here. And, uh, and using people as objects instead of valued creations, or objectifying God's creation. Verse 7, those who trample the head of the poor, a man and his father, they go into the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. You see, sexual immorality and perversity to the degree that both a father and his son are sharing the same woman, sleeping around, and not just doing this in you know, a secret way, but in broad daylight, laying down even besides the altar of God. Furthermore, in the house of God, bringing in all kinds of wine and drunkenness, these people were living in utter perversity and in broad daylight, in the house of God, having a disrespect for life, disrespect for human value and dignity. And maybe as you hear that, friends, it sounds all too familiar. You see that these people had no conscience for what was right and wrong. Frankly, it seems like we're there as well as a country. When I look around me, I see people also exalting sin, a disrespect for anything that's sacred and masquerading this all in broad daylight. It used to be that some of those things were kept in secret, but now they're just right out in the open. On the World Wide Web, you can find people, you know, going into pornographic episodes, streamed live on, you know, whatever platform you want. You have uh, drunkenness and chaos and anarchy and Violence all around. Not too different from the days of Amos. And God's message through his prophet in Amos chapter 4 is prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God, O people. You who exalt in your own will and your own ways. Those of you who are going off with the tantalization of sin for the meanwhile. Prepare to meet your God. See, God's gavel had landed. And he's not tolerating the perversity in the land any longer. Judgment is coming. And while the people may enjoy the pleasantries of sin for a while, the party doesn't last forever. We all have to face our morality sooner or later. That we are judged by a living God who has set a standard for us, whether we choose to accept it or not. And that our mortality is there as well, that we don't live forever. And there's going to be a day when we meet our maker. And that's God's message to these countries, these people who are living it up as they want to. Prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God. And all this to people who had, interestingly, an outward appearance of godliness. You know, so even though these people are doing some things that are also sinful and living in perversity, they also were, in their minds, okay. And I know that might seem very contradictory to you, but for these people, they had the temple that Solomon had built. They had the temple of God. They even went to the temple, we hear in Amos. They sang songs. They even brought offerings to God. They were there. They worshipped. But we hear that God wasn't interested in any of the outward formalism. 
If you see, that's what it was for these people. They were living as hypocrites. They were looking like they were doing some good things, but really their lives were full of perversity and wickedness. They were vile and evil in their ways. And God's message to them is, I'm not interested in you doing the right stuff. I'm not interested in the outward formalism. I don't care how many times you've been to the temple. I don't care how great of an offering you bring. I don't care that you are able to sing songs or that you're able to listen attentively while the priest speaks to you. And sometimes our culture needs to hear that again. And sometimes we do too. You see, we can get so fixated on outward formalism and this person's been a really good person, right? They're a philanthropist. They're giving money to charities. They're helping others. God's not interested in fluff. He's not interested in outward acts. He's after something bigger than that. And he tells us that in Amos chapter 5, verse 22. It says, Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Maybe for some of you that sounds pretty harsh. Right? God's God's having these people who are bringing offerings to him and he's flat out telling them, I don't want it. I will not accept those offerings. He has people who are coming and playing the harps, making melodies, singing songs. He's like, I'm not going to listen to that. No, no, no. And why? Why is this the case? Because God wanted the hearts of his people. And you see, their hearts were not for God. They were for the lust of their, their flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the things that they were chasing after other than the Lord. But God wanted a heart change for his people. He wanted a heart of faith. He wanted a life change for his people. And that's why God brings this pronounced judgment upon the land. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel, O Judah. You who have appearance of godliness but you deny god with your life and god brings this pronouncement of punishment for a purpose it's not whimsical but his desire is that his people would turn from their sin that they would repent that they would change the direction of their life instead of living in sin that they would instead turn and seek after the lord and what i have come to see from scripture is that this is actually god's intent every single time he pronounces a punishment against his people. He doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, he says. He doesn't desire that people would suffer or have to be disciplined. He wants them to be following him and to not live in evil ways one to another. We hear this in verse 14 of chapter 5, which I believe is maybe the, the theme verse for this book. God says to his people, seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gates. You see, God's heart for his people was that they would seek him. That they would call evil, evil, and they would call good, good. And we hear amongst the prophets that this had gotten twisted for the people. That they were looking at what was good and calling it evil and looking at what was evil and calling it good. God's desire for his people was to be seeking after the good and loving it and establishing justice and that their hearts would be for him. 
And the famous speech that Martin Luther King Jr. gives, he actually quotes from this very chapter as he's calling out our nation to repentance. He says in quoting Amos chapter 5, verse 24, Let justice roll down like the waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You see, the same characteristics that dwelt in the hearts of the people of Israel in Amos' day, Martin Luther King Jr., and even I today would say that those same sinful hearts need to be dealt with as well. That God's, his same heart is for people to turn and to seek him. That justice would be done, that good would be sought after, that righteousness would be flowing in our land again, that people would have a change of heart, that they would amend their ways and not continue on a path of sin. That, that's God's heart for you too, friends. His heart for our country, for all people, actually, that they would turn to him and to seek good, not to seek evil. Sadly for Israel, they disregard this warning. And we hear that 28 years later, in the year 722 BC, that Assyria invades and Israel falls. And the whole nation was taken out to captivity, never to return. The Babylonian captivity that was going to happen about 150 years later, the people of Judah end up returning for that, but the people of Israel never return to their land. Friends, there are some of you today as well who are a little bit too much like Israel. Perhaps you have an appearance of godliness, but you've denied him with your life. But God, friends, is not fooled. He's not deceived. He doesn't um, miss the pretending that goes on. He knows that your life isn't devoted to following him. And he doesn't want your butt in a pew or some offerings or nice pleasantries, but he wants your heart. He wants you to be seeking after him. He wants you to seek him and to seek his ways, to run after that which is good, to be people of righteousness and people of integrity to establish justice, to be people who hate evil and speak against wickedness and to love that which is good. That's his heart for you, friends. For our church. And just like Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream that the people of God who are gathered together and calling themselves so would actually live lives for God. That it would so encapsulate the world that they would be following him not just with their lips, but with their lives. Not just having an appearance of godliness, but truly following him. It's a dream. Not just for this congregation, but for the Christian saints in our world. That we would be truly living for the Lord. That God's people would love and follow him with their whole heart. And this, friends, is an invitation for you today. It was an invitation for the people in Amos' day, for Israel, for Judah. Sadly, we see that they don't listen. Instead of turning and seeking after the Lord, they continue to seek their own ways. And eventually God brings the punishment that he told and promised that he would. But what about for you? So easy for us to turn to our neighbor, to think about our friends in this instance. What about this person and and their need to seek after God, or, man, if only these people would get their act together. But what about you? 
It's often said that a heart toward revival begins not looking outward, but looking inward. To look at the need for repentance and faith in your own heart and life. That it would begin with us. And that's my hope and prayer for you as a pastor. That God would be working and challenging each and every one of you in your own lives to be following after Him. To seek good and not to seek evil. That you would be following the Lord with all of who you are. And that you would be speaking up for the oppressed. Calling out sin and wickedness. That you would be prepared to meet your God. To be able to sing, it is well with my soul. As you do every week here, we, we bring our tithes and offerings. We sing songs. And I just can't help but wonder what God would say about your songs today. About your offerings. Would he accept them? Would he listen to them? Or would he say, I'd rather you just be quiet. I'd rather you not bring those here. Because you're living a two-faced life. You see, friends, God wants more from you than just your songs, just your presence, just your butt in a pew. He wants more than your offerings or any of those. But he's after your heart. He desires that, to seek after a relationship with you. And it's my prayer that the same message of Amos that we hear here proclaimed would ring true in your heart. The same kind of dream that Martin Luther King Jr. had and that I have today as a prophet of God, a pastor in this community, that God's people would be living as his people. I hope and pray that this would also be made manifest in your heart and life. Amos is a prophet, an unlikely one, who stands up and tells churchgoers in the Old Testament that they're going to hell separated from God unless they change their path. And friends, narrow is the way to salvation, Jesus tells us. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many find it. Our prayer at Living Word is that you would be on the narrow path that leads to life. That you would find a Savior who calls you to follow Him. And that you would walk with Him all of your days. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this challenge from Amos to examine our ways and test them and to return to the Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would give us hearts that are seeking after you. That that would be true for each and every one of us here. We're not given a free pass just because our grandparent was following you or our parents were, but you call for each and every one of us to be living by faith and trusting in you. I pray, Lord, that would be true for me. That that would be true for my friends here, Lord, that we would be prepared well to meet you that you would find hearts that are offered before you fully, that your justice would roll down and that righteousness would be an ever-flowing stream from our lives and from our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to God's Word for today. If you are impacted by the message you heard, please consider donating to the Ministry of Living Word Lutheran Church by visiting www.livingwordaflc.org.